Hey there, I'm David Kern. I'm Heidi White. I'm Tim McIntosh. And I'm Sean Johnson. We still don't have that down. No, no, we don't. But, but, but this it's is fun for David and I to watch it happen. <laughs> it is. It is Sean to being deferential, Tim not wanting to step on anybody's toes. It's great. It's it's great. Uh, you know, what's, what's really not great podcasting, though, is just quiet. So, um, but for us, it's great to watch your faces, try to try to sort through it in, in the moment. Yeah. Uh, this is Closer Reads. It's a podcast for the incurable reader on which we are discussing our favorite reads of 2023. That's right. This is, did you guys know this is the most popular episode every year? I've heard more that. people listen to this episode, download this episode than any other episode we do. So no pressure. Yeah. I was just saying off the air how much less at stake this one feels than all the ones when we compete with each other to get like votes. the drafts. Yeah. yeah because yeah. now instead of thinking what will bring you down, I'm yeah. actually thinking about my favorites of something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tim, you have not been able to be privy or to be a part of enough of those draft episodes. They are cut through. Are they really? Tim's real cutthroat competitive spirit oh, would be yeah. would be great. Those episodes also do really well. So we're doing more of them, just FYI. All right. It's okay. I can handle the stress. <laughs> we gotta get we gotta get Tim on one though. Um, because you did you know Tim is uh, deeply competitive in a in a cutthroat sort of fashion and so would fit in fit in really well there. I mean, his dad played for John Wooden, so Whew. it's forget about it. It's it's right there. It's, it's in it's inside. Right, Tim? When I was in college, I had to have a moment where I had to pray, mm. God, please don't make me give up basketball because I'm so <laughs> competitive about it. And I was doing damage to people that I cared for. Like when I was playing basketball. Physical or psychological Throwing damage? Chairs psychological. Oh, okay. Psychological damage. <laughs> you weren't crossing and people up and break twist, you know, twisting ankles. You were, you were hurting was, their feelings. I was willing to do that. It was more like when somebody made a bad call. Mm. And I, like, I just didn't handle it in any way with grace. <laughs> you in should talk no to Jack way White. With grace. You should oh. walk him through this. He keeps oh, getting oh. fouled out of basketball games. He's fouling out of multiple Does he really? games. Whoa. Well, only one. He actually is only fouled out of one. But how many technicals has he gotten? Just one. But okay. It's, well, yeah, it's hard. It's hard on him. Emotionally hard on him. The la- the injustice. <laughs> Wasn't well, a yeah, foul. that's the issue. They didn't it call is. Him. That is the issue. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But you know I mean, what? We're I, all it's being... it's a young man's thing. It reminds me of that uh, the Shakespeare line, "The Seven Ages of Man." There's one about like the young man full of strange oaths. Strange oaths. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's it's good. like that's what happens. There's this He's kind of strong sense of justice and the indignation that comes from an injustice hasn't really been like integrated with the other drives. Yeah. It just kind of is, it just herniated at that time. And he'll fight it, right? Right in the cannon's mouth. Jack's just... Yeah. Right in the cannon's mouth. Jack's just going through some courtly indignation is what it sounds like. Strange oats. That sounds right. Uh, respect Although my courtly indignation. It's <laughs> a little bit different than courtly indignation in, uh, in Shakespeare. But we are, as I said, here to talk about our favorite books of the year. So we each have a, probably a little bit of a different approach to this. But the one rule that I requested that people follow is that they not choose a book that we did on the show this year as part of their top top five so in some ways that helped to be honest yeah i mean i so so for example my list is all books from 2023 but the nature of my job is that i'm keeping up with books that are new so i'm going to focus on that and maybe along the way i'll mention a couple of other things that i did read that i liked 
before we get into our lists, though, and we each did a top five, and then we'll share our, you know, honorable mentions and things that miss the cut, of which I've got a long list. I, I want to talk though about the year on the show and which books stood out most to you. So, Sean, if you had to decide, this is your first, you know, this year was your first real like foray into doing this with us. If you had to decide, you know, what what one or two books most stood out that we talked about on the show and thus that are not on your list, what would you say they are? And here, I'll just list out the books that we did. So we did Persuasion, The Netanyahu's, Pygmalion, The Diary of a Country Priest, The Optimist's Daughter, The Scarlet Letter, Everything Sad is Untrue, The Picture of Dorian Gray, One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, The Moving Toy Shop, Canticle for Leibowitz, and of course, we just finished Things Fall Apart. And we also have done a few things. We did the Space Trilogy and we did, um, uh, we've been doing Kristen Lavin's daughter on the the bonus show. So I'll let you count those two as well, if, you know, if you want. I'll, I'll let you. I appreciate it. That, makes, that means a lot. <laughs> uh, a lot of the, a lot of the books that we did on the show this year were rereads for me. So I don't know that I would mm-hmm. put them in the running necessarily. Although that's, I don't, I don't think that disqualifies them. But uh, sure, the I really have enjoyed. Kristen Lavin's daughter. We're still in the portion that I have read at the first, yeah. the first book of the trilogy. Uh, but even, even this second trip through uh, has been really enjoyable and, and has me looking forward to finishing. I will say, and this was a book that several of you had read last year and put on your end of year list, but Everything Sad is Untrue was uh, a real delight uh, and surprise in, in the sense that it was a surprise to me, not in a surprise not in the sense that I didn't know it was going to be good because people I respect said it was good, <laughs> but it really was. It really was a delight. It was a lot of fun to read that one. Tim, what about you? What's what book on the? I mean, you were on fewer episodes than than you have been in the last couple of years. You still came on some. Was there one that stood out? You're muted though, so you know he hasn't been coming on as much, so he's out of practice with that quick unmute. I really am. This is <laughs> sloppy behavior. <laughs> For me, it's things fall apart. Oh, hey, Tim, one more thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. um, it's things fall apart. Yeah. I thought that I loved the discussions over it. It was yeah. a, a really great book to revisit after having a long time apart from it. So that'd be my vote. Hey, Tim, we got a couple comments um, that about how great it is to have all four of us together and how glad people were that you were there. So I just want to pass oh, that along to you. Thank you. That's It's really nice. I feel... A little bit bad, but then I I feel a little bit bad that I've been so absent. But then I think about the things that are keeping me absent, and it's an eight month old daughter who is completely still in my heart, <laughs> and a job that I really love. But I mean, it's just demanding. So yeah, yeah. Well, we get it. This is called adulthood, right? Right. Like yeah. you just have to yes. choose between rival goods or rival or rival Word. evils. You know, yeah. your duties. <laughs> yeah, Heidi. What what book stood out for you? This is a hard one for me to answer because so many of my actual favorite novels have been read this year. Yeah. Mm. Um, like Kristen Lovren's daughter has got to be my winner for sure. Um, mm. Because it's so much fun to discuss it with you guys. I love that so much. It's already a heart book for me. And it's just been a really rich discussion. But reading that hideous strength, I mean, the Ransom yeah. Trilogy are like three of my favorite books in the whole world. Yeah, that like, has I'm been really a Christian great. Christian because of C.S. Lewis. Like, mm-hmm. that is just, 
huge. And then everything sad is untrue is another highlight for me. And I, and a canticle for Leibowitz was just that, that to me, yeah. Sean, what you just said about the surprise, right? Like that for me was such a surprise, not because mm-hmm. I didn't expect it to be good, but because it was so good. So yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to go with that. That sounds like I'm like, I can't pick one. So I'm picking All everything. So I guess I'm going to pick <laughs> the wreath. But yeah, book one it's, of Christian Levinson. It's just hard for me to like not put those books on my favorite reads of the year yeah. and have to actually pick different books because how do I pick something other than that, that hideous strength? But I I did. I did. I'm ready. <laughs> Way to go. I obey the rules. First board. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that um, Things Fall Apart is definitely on my list too. Um, no one said the Netanyahu's. I did notice. I did notice that. Um, I just wanted to. You know, I, I, almost, uh, I almost included that. It's been so long because I really, oh no, I didn't include that because though it was on the show, I had already sort of left it out of my reckoning because I read it in the last calendar year. But uh, in this, in this subcategory, I would probably include that. I don't know that I will, I don't know that I will long to revisit it 50 years from now, but I would, I would read it again and enjoy it still. Tim, are you okay? Tim was, he's muted again. He's, but let's see if he can turn his mic off, but he was coughing a lot. And I, I just want to check on you there, Tim. I've been sick for almost four weeks straight. Oh man. Including this cough that will not yeah. go away. Yeah. Did, you have the, did you have the flu? I have been tested for the flu and for COVID and I tested negative for both. So I had some sort of virus that seriously like, like an rsv yeah crawled up from going around the sewers of chernobyl it is so <laughs> it's the worst thing i've ever had and it refuses it's like i'm beating it as it's finally like its talons are like like gripping my body and i'm beating it away and it's like we're still not gonna let go we're defeated we're still not gonna let go so that's why i'm in like these convulsive coughs like I'm fighting a convulsive cough right now. One moment while I mute myself. I'm so glad Tim is here. I know. This makes me miss Tim so much. Oh my gosh. That's really sweet. Yeah. True, but I'm we're glad you're here. Sorry about the flag you have. Really glad you've been fighting it off though. Yeah. Right. So could yeah. be worse. Have you, tried, like that's definitely, have you tried trying harder? I, that's, I think that's the key. I think that's if I could it. just like try harder. Yeah. Just yeah. kind of like grit my teeth and like. Arr. Have you tried Mucinex? No, but my, um, <laughs> my sister has semi-recommended this Afrin spray. Have okay. you heard about Afrin spray? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. She said it's like Sounds riding familiar. the white horse. It's like so <laughs> kind of deadly. Is that a. Is it like a cocaine joke? Or yeah, like a, yeah, that's okay. exactly right. Yeah. All, right. All right. Hold the hand of the white lady. Yeah, okay. Huh. So we got some talons from a Chernobyl birthed creature that's wrapped itself around you. And then also... And the only solution is, is to walk oh, with the white don't lady. Don't say the white lady. <laughs> <laughs> to ride the white stallion? I mean, what are we... What are you, <laughs> Why don't you like that, Heidi? I'm a white lady. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, wow. That works on multiple levels. Yeah. Too, yeah. It does. <laughs> oh, man. Um, hey, yeah. should we talk about some books? Um, yeah. So, were we doing that? So, yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess we were. So, um, I recently wrote something for World Magazine, kind of doing a roundup of some of the most interesting fiction of the year. And it 
I open that by saying that one of the things that I'm always looking for at the shop and also when I'm writing about books is is a book that I can I get so excited about that I can I just recommend it to people. You know, I I you gotta read this, you gotta read this, especially the people whose tastes I've kind of kind of learned and gotten to know. And that's kind of how I was thinking about my list. I imagine that's kind of how you guys think about yours too. Like you read a book and it's either stuck with you or in some way because of some characteristic, it has excited you. And you would want to recommend it to the thousands of people who are listening to this podcast. Um, and so we made top five lists. And um, do you guys want to do honorable mentions first or at the end? Do we save them to the end so that it doesn't... Save, so it them, keeps... the, save them to the end. Okay. The end. All right. We'll yeah. save honorable mentions for the end then. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but my fifth spot was the hardest one for me. Because my t- I had a clear top four, and then after that, it was like, what's the fifth book that I like that I include on this list of these seven books that could potentially make make the list? Um, Heidi, why don't we? Why don't we do this? Why do we do? You guys want to do five through one? Yes. Should, should we yeah. go that way? Okay. Yeah, right. we really should. It's just good list making, right? right. Okay, right. so let's go five through one. Heidi, why don't you go first, and then Sean, and then Tim, and then I'll go. So, um, so Heidi, what was your number five book? Okay. 2023. 2023 number five for me is a book that I think might might be on your list, David, because this was one of those recommended to me books by David Kern. Okay, um, okay. Point of order question before you say it. Yeah. Then. Oh. If if there's crossover, should the person who has the crossover jump in for the conversation there, or do we hold it? Do you do you wait and reveal it later? I think you jump in right then. I don't know because if you wait till later, then we know what ranking it is for you because we're all intentional about the ranking. So, what we could do is if we do have crossover, then I could say, hey, I have this coming up. So, let's talk about it then. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, you know, we, okay, go ahead. So, what's your number five? The sun walks down. Yeah. Yes. That is on my list and it will come up later. Yeah. Yeah. Give a few comments on it and then we'll, but then we'll come back to a more in-depth conversation later. Uh, You recommended this to me, David, like immediately upon, I I think it was like a right away recommendation. You texted me, you've got to read this book. Um, Fiona McFarlane is a very well-known novelist. Mm -hmm. It's her latest offering. Um. And this book, and she's an Australian novelist. Yeah, Australian. Yep. And her novels are very placed, very peopled and placed, very representative of Australia. I've never set foot in Australia, but I feel after reading this book, like I get it, what it would be, what, like the kind of the ethos, the psychology of the people um, and it's a remarkable novel, and I'm sure David will talk a little bit more about the plot later. later but I loved it, um, and it is haunting. It's one of those like it kind of gripped me and stayed with me for weeks, even months afterwards. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah, in some more depth in an hour <laughs> um, or whatever. Sean, you're up. What's your number five? My number five is. Strangers on a Train by, by Patricia, Patricia Highsmith. Highsmith. All right. I have loved the movie for a long time, but I had never read the book. And uh, my wife gave it to me for Christmas last year. I read it in the new year. Loved it. It was such a such a gripping thriller. Yeah, it was a blast. 
like a 1950s psychological thriller type thing. Yeah, it became I mean, a Hitchcock in some movie. Ways, in some ways, Highsmith is kind of the the mother of the psychological thriller. Right. Yeah. So the, she, the yeah, go no, ahead. More literary than what you're going to than most. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's she's uh, she's the author of the mother of highbrow psychological thrillers. So she also wrote the Ripley novels, um, Talented Mr. Ripley, etc. The the premise of this novel is that two strangers meet on a train. One of them's a weird guy who says, "Hey, I've always <laughs> I've always wanted to commit the perfect murder." And you know what the perfect murder would be if two strangers who met for the first time agreed to trade murders because there'd be no trail of motive. Uh, you wouldn't have to worry about alibis because you'd go your separate ways and the police would never connect the dots. So let's trade murders because I have this guy that I really hate and it sounds like you have some problems in your own life. I'll kill somebody for you if you'll kill somebody for me in return. And uh, the main character of the novel says this is insane, uh, thanks but no thanks. And then <laughs> uh, his crazy uh, train compatriot continues to sort of insinuate himself into his life and uh, reintroduce this this theory and this bargain uh, over and over. And uh, scary, thrilling chaos ensues. So the best of all the books that was made into a Hitchcock movie. I think that's probably right. So it's a, that's a really good, that's a really fun, like winter, you know, wa- read that book, watch that movie. It's like a good yeah. January activity. It's a little bit yeah. bleak, but that's kind Is of the point. better than The Birds? The short story by the author uh, of Rebecca? Demoria? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I uh, think it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you it's read so the- good. It's such a great novel. The Birds is good. I've read The Birds. Oh, you're but- talking about the novel. We're not talking about the movie. We're talking about the novel. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I think the, I think the, I think the movie, oh, 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 you mean the movie, the birds versus the movie strangers on a train? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I think, I think birds has a chance there, but I do really yeah. love the movie. Tim, that brings us to you. What's your number five? You know, my number five, you guys is the very hungry caterpillar by oh, Eric Carle. Yeah. It shows and tells the life of a caterpillar as he eats his way through each day and ultimately becomes a cut, a butterfly. It's like a Tim, metaphor for life. I don't know if you've thought of that. Can you name all of the things he eats on the carnival day? I got the top no. of your head. Oh, no. Man. Can, can you? you? He's got I, five I, I haven't read it as recently as you probably. Uh, you know, because it's like the sausage yeah. and the piece of pie and the there's cheese. An apple. And the, I think uh, there's an apple. The, the I apple. Is the that apple. earlier? Isn't the apple earlier? Oh, first oh, it's you fruit. Don't the and then there's book. the big oh, yeah, yeah, day yeah, where yeah, he yeah. goes through yeah, all yeah, those. Yeah. eats all the, the bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah, all the bad stuff. A pickle or something like this. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember a pickle. Yeah, well, Timmy, would you like to say anything else about uh, Eric Carl's The Very Hungry Caterpillar? My daughter's paying attention to books. We read her a, a short <laughs> book every night. And like the last three nights, she's actually like watching the pages, not yeah. just squirming. And nice. I'm like, wow. Nice. Wow, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows how long it'll last, but we've got three <laughs> days of data. <laughs> <laughs> progress. Yeah, so, progress. um, do you, is, is uh, like your life as we've just gotten into is more complicated than in terms of like your ability to just read 
It's like you've less yeah. time for that. So did you, what, you want to just kind of tell us a little bit about what people haven't, they love to hear from you. They love to hear Tim's stories. How's your, what's your reading life look like this year? And I don't mean to like, I just, listen, like, I'm trying to say, well, oh, did you read less it, books this year? Like but when and where do it, you read that kind of? I basically, there's one place that I read, two places that I read. I read when I am going to bed at night and I usually last about like 6.3 <laughs> minutes before I'm just done. Or I read an audio book because I'm going to or from work, which is a very short bicycle commute. So there's just not a ton of time there. I think the real complicating factor for me is this. The Plays the Thing podcast, the Shakespeare podcast that I'm doing, we are finishing the show and we're spending a lot of time doing one podcast overviews of some of Shakespeare's minor works. So that means I'm reading Comedy of Errors or Troilus and Cressida in a real compact amount of time. Whereas yeah. ordinarily I'd be like spreading it out, slowly reading five acts and I would have time for other things. No, this yeah. is just like get two Shakespeare plays done. This King week. John Firehose. <laughs> King John Firehose. You got it. Yeah. yeah. So that's been part of my, my issue. Um, okay. So, so far we have the sun walks down is five for Heidi. Strangers on a train is five for Sean and the very hungry caterpillar is five for Tim, which is just a delightful, that was a delightful development to happen. Um, that's going to be uh, really funny when that's on the, like the bookshop.org list. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I had a very difficult time uh, choosing from my long, li- my long list here to, to get a fifth book. Um, there are a bunch of novels that I really, really loved and respect and have thought a lot about. And what I ultimately decided now, I will say there's like four books that if I had a chance to finish them, they probably, they may have jumped into this <laughs> fifth spot. Um, and I also will say I didn't choose any books by people that I've been friends with because that feels weird. Um, and I, and otherwise, honestly, Josh Gibbs's book might show up in the list because it's that is amazing. Yeah. Um, so is uh, Daniel Daniel Nyeri's new book and Kate Alvis's new book. Um, but my fifth one is it's a, also technically a children's book. It's Dave Eggers, The Eyes and the Impossible, oh, um, yeah. which is a novel really for any age. Um, but it's about a dog uh, who thinks he can run at the speed of light and who uh, doesn't really have a good concept of time or math, but tries. Who uh, thinks he does. And he lives in a national park somewhere in the Pacific Northwest where he is the eyes of the park uh, on behalf of the bison who run the show. And he, at one point, um, gets himself into a series of troubles because somebody sets up an art installation at the rest area you know like the little what do you call those things at a park at like the office of the park or whatever and uh they um uh he gets himself caught because he gets obsessed by art and he gets enamored by the paintings that he sees there in the photographs and the rest of the story kind of spins out of that but the the narrator is so delightful a great audiobook too but ethan hawk is the is the 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 voice of the the book um and the paintings is illustrated the paintings in it are amazing, like almost Dutch style paintings where this guy went around to museums and he got permission to use these classic landscape paintings. And then he recreated them with this dog character whose name is Johannes in the paintings. 
So the whole package of these the book is incredible. Whether you're reading it to your kids or reading it to yourself or listening to the audiobook, it's it's delightful. It's amazing. Um, so my fifth book is just there for, for, for pure delight, but also it's incredibly literary and well written. And one of my, it's an if you if your kids love animals or you love animals, um, it's like the best. This is how ant dogs really are. Book I've ever read. Uh, as as someone who has a puppy still, like he's one, but. Like he definitely thinks he's the fastest thing in the world. Um, and reader, he, he is not, um, but, uh, (laughs) he's pretty fast, but okay. So that's my fifth. Um, have any of you read that? No, I remember you recommending it to me earlier this year, but I haven't read it yet. Like Heidi, I honestly think this book is super up your alley, even though you don't have little kids. So good. You should listen to the audio book. Um, especially because Ethan Hawke is, is, uh, is excellent. Yeah, spoiler alert, yeah, there's an Ethan Hawke connection uh, coming later in my book list. Ooh. Hamlet? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Later. Oh, sorry. Okay, uh, Heidi, what's your number four? Um, my number four is, I don't know if this will be the very last Wendellberry that's ever on my new reading list. Um, but it's The Need to Be Whole yeah. by Wendellberry. Mm. That was on my list last year. And I just loved it. And it is, I listened to it in the car. Um, and Nick Offerman. Yes. Oh my goodness. He is so perfect for reading. Wendell so good. And, and it's just a very insightful uh, representative look at his, uh, at, at Wendell Berry's thought over time and the deepening of his thought like he even specifically says in the need to behold that he's revisiting some of the ideas that uh he had positive and posited and fleshed out earlier in his writing career earlier in his life and now he's um kind of changing and adapting and deepening uh Hmm. and and to be to be an author of that caliber to look back on your thinking and to refine it even more for new for new generations um with new changes in culture without fundamentally changing is a just it was just a really profound experience for me to trace his thought um and to feel like I was in a relationship with him as a reader having read the earlier books and then um revisiting those ideas was just it it felt like sitting it honestly felt like sitting with my grandfather on the front porch and being mm-hmm. like tell me about your life and tell me about your mind and um felt very very personal as well as intellectually and spiritually challenging. Was it last year, by the way, uh, kind of unrelated, but also sort of related that you had, what was, you had um, the Patisse's book, right? Mm, yes. The Ethics of, of Beauty. beauty. Yeah. Ethics of Beauty. Mm-hmm. So is this your long book for the year then? Yeah, or, I guess or, this is my, um, yeah. That's true. Looking at the rest of my list and my nonfiction, kind of more of an intellectual read, I guess. Okay. Okay. All right, Sean, what's your number four? Sean, have you read The Need to Be Whole? Uh, So it's it's on my honorable mention list because I have been working my way through it, but I haven't finished it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, but it's, I would would second everything that Heidi said. It's, It's been great so far. My number four uh, is also nonfiction, and it's the Sermons of St. Philaret of Moscow. And uh, I listened to this as an audio book, which was really enjoyable because it's read by 
um, a working uh, priest, Father Josiah Trenum, and he reads it really well. Uh, it's great to hear these sermons as sermons. But uh, Philaret was the um, metropolitan of Moscow when uh, during the lives of people like Pushkin and Dostoevsky and Gogol, uh, who were all uh, who would go to hear him preach and were all uh, all cited him as some kind of spiritual influence on them. Uh, but they were remarkably uh, lucid, clear. I almost say practical sermons, but spiritually practical, <laughs> uh, uh, right? Not make your bed because then you'll be more diligent during the day. But uh, you actually need to become poor in spirit, and here is how you do it. Uh, kind of practical, and they were they've been remarkable. I really enjoyed it. Who publishes it? That's a good question. Uh, it might be Patristic Nectar, or maybe one of the seminaries, maybe Saint Vladimir's. I forget. And for those who are listening, is it P H I L A R E T? P H I L A R E T. Um, that that sounds great. What if no, that one really will be great, available? Yeah. That, we might have to have that as on a separate list because some of those might not be readily available on. I mean, it's available in. Some. It's definitely available in print too. But the the audio book was uh, was really enjoyable. Um, okay, so then Tim, that brings us to you. Number four for me is Brown Bear, Brown Bear, what do you see? No, I'm, I'm going to get off that trip. <laughs> that would have been great if you just took the bit, like made it into a whole bit and did it the whole time. Good night, um, Moon I is always, number three. Yeah, that's right. Um, I really like always to be reading what I call light history, so not like some dense academic tone, but something approachable, written for a popular audience. And I read Oppenheimer. I've been, I, it oh, took yeah. me forever. And I want everyone to hear that I said light history, right, not that's what I was just short about history. <laughs> yeah, it's not short. It's like eight or 900 pages, but what a fascinating person. I think Christopher Nolan said that he thinks that Oppenheimer is the most important person in world history. And <laughs> if, if nuclear power... I mean, it is as powerful as our kind of like conception of it is. And if that's the case, the holder of the keys to nuclear power was Oppenheimer. So you've got a case to be made. Anyway, it's a, start it's a praying meticulously... for Christopher Nolan even harder. <laughs> Would you say? I said, I'm going to start praying for Christopher Nolan even harder now. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's number four for me. Oppenheimer. Did uh, you see the movie? High Bird. I have not seen the movie yet. I wanted to finish the book first. Kai okay. Bird, Martin Sherwin. Okay. Yeah. Is that, the, is that the American Prometheus? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, so is that the title? The um, American Prometheus is the title of the book? I think it's Oppenheimer Sub, colon yeah. an American, the American or American Prometheus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, that me, that is to me, that right? That's you, David. Okay. So my number four is... It it didn't get published in 2023, but it got re, it got reissued in 2023. Oh, okay. It had been out of print, and um, it is not a year old mystery novel. It's not a, it's not the one you're expecting. At least mm-hmm. it's not Crookaloon, Heidi, which I did love. Yeah. Um, found Thank to be you. very delightful. Um, did you is, say Crookaloon? I did. Okay. Could you could you say that again? 
<laughs> you're, even the, sure suit, what you're, the jacket you're wearing is appropriate with the uh, oh yeah the accent. Yeah, this is My a book here? Yeah. called "The Feast" by Margaret Kennedy. I, I don't know if I've texted you guys about this. So the yes. idea is yeah. it's summer 1947, and there's this hotel on the seaside, um, like a seaside village near in Cornwall in England, and there's a there's a um, hotel called the Pendezac Manor Hotel, and the cliffside collapses. You kind of know this right at the very beginning of the book. The cliffside collapses, killing um, seven guests who are in it. But then the story is told in the weeks leading up to that event from the perspective of a number of like all these different characters, including some who are off having a feast picnic when the hotel collapses. It is a, it's a combination of an upstairs-downstairs British novel with a comedy of manners with a... Uh, I wouldn't want to call it a psychological thriller, but a psychological mystery to some degree, because there is there is some mystery at, at its core. But also, somehow, sometimes it's extremely, extremely funny. Um, you've got this old canon character who's straight out of Jane Austen. You've got a um, you've got the people who are taking care of the house. There's there's these one's a young woman, one's an older woman, and the older woman complains all the time about having to do all the work. When in reality, she's watching the younger woman do the work <laughs> and then complaining about it. I mean, there's there's a it's an extremely British, um, incredibly well written, very complex novel that also is playing with the seven deadly sins in what? its themes. So um, it's uh, reissued by McNally Editions and. Um, the, there's a there's a blurb on the back from Anita Brooker Bruckner who says Kennedy is not only a romantic but also an anarchist, <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> which is a funny blurb. Um, it's a really a really interesting kind of out there novel, but not like in a not like in the Netanyahu sort of way. Um, just in a mid century. <laughs> feel like you have to say that now, huh? Yeah, like in a mid century uh, English sort of way. Um, it's like right after the war um, and. Uh, it, sometimes it's diaries, sometimes it's letters, sometimes it's just straight narrative. But um, really, really impressive, impressive novel. So, the feast by Margaret Kennedy. Did any? Did you any, any of you read that after I sent you guys a text about it earlier? I bought it, but I haven't get read that it. That text. Now my feelings are hurt. Uh oh. Are you or, sure? Or you just missed it? Or I missed it? Maybe. Did you? Um, but you, you, so you didn't read it then? Is what you're no. saying? Okay. All right. <laughs> But I All right, the long, the short of it. Tim. I'm just. I don't. Did you read the feast? I don't want to feel make you feel left out. I just in between, in between where the wild things does it are come in picture book form? Yeah, the little house. Yeah, Christmas. If it came in picture book form. It may, it may have crossed my desk. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I, I like the notion that you're reading. Like <laughs> when you read to your daughter, you're like, "Come to my desk. We're gonna we're gonna read." At yeah, the desk. right. And there's a <laughs> stack of children's books. Lady. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, Straight Heidi. Back. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Hey, what's your third? My number three is a book that I read this summer. So before I say this, I will say how I picked my books this year. Um, I picked the books for this list based on, and I think I kind of do this every year, but I was intentional about it this year, is this is my criteria. Will I look back and think this is the year that I read X? Hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, and so all of my books are chosen because of that. They're all first reads for me, which hasn't always been true in the past. And so my number three is a book called A Year in Provence by an author named oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mayle, yeah. M-A-Y-L-E. 
And I loved it. I read it this summer. It's just about a guy and his wife who retired and then they just moved to Provence, which is kind of thing that we all say things like maybe, you know, you go on vacation, you're like, oh, we should just pick up and move here, right? Save Mm -hmm. baby sea turtles. And, you know, like, what am I doing with my life? And I want to escape the frantic American life. I say this probably every day. Um, (laughs) And this guy just did it. And they bought this old house and renovated it and then just like ate and recorded a whole book every season of the year, like winter in Provence and spring in Provence, all the way through. It's all the things that they ate and did and worked on in Provence for an entire year. And it was amazing. And I loved it. And then I read every single one of the of his books about Provence after that. But Did you? I yeah, I was going to ask. Yes, I didn't read his novels. I read a couple of them and they were really good, but it is, it's the memoir of of life in Provence that just captured me. And I cooked so many things and bought so many wine, <laughs> like so many cases of wine as a result, or bottles of wine as a result. <laughs> so many cases. It was cases, but I'm going to But that's also the same thing as saying so many bottles. So. I developed yeah, a taste that's right. for bandol rosé that i didn't know i needed in my life oh yeah, and, yeah be careful and i ate so much cheese and i made <laughs> all of these amazing like light pastas and learned how to cook Romage. Like, oh man <laughs> <laughs> i ate so well this summer as a result of reading this book when did that come out i don't know like 1980 oh decades ago yeah. yeah okay like Long, long time ago. And there's many of them, but this was the OG. This is his first memoir he wrote. And it's just delightful. Hey, related-ish. Have you guys ever read J.B. JB Priestley's books on England in the middle of the century? No. He was like a travel no. writer. He would no. he went around and he like studied how England was changing. And it's similar to that, but like think England instead of Provence. So like different vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, but his books have inspired this whole new wave of travel writing on the UK. Anyway, uh, Sean, what's your number three? All right. Uh, My number three is another nonfiction. uh, Joseph Epstein's The Novel, Who Needs It? I was waiting for that one. I knew it was coming from either you or David. So, David, did did this end up on your list? It's not on my list, but it was a very difficult one to cut. I I loved it. Yeah, I did too. And I figured you might, I I hoped you might put it on there. So then... what uh, do you want to say? You want to say your piece about it? Why did you love it? Because it's opinionated but witty at the same time. He uh, rips on people with bad taste while also, in, <laughs> you know, not making it feel like he's being insulting. Um, it's uh, it. He loves Tolstoy, <laughs> although he did have a quick couple barbs on Graham Greene that I thought you might not might not love. You know, I try. I just looked past it. You know, yeah. kept yeah. reading. Yeah. But I, I, that's one of the things that I, I mean, really appreciate about it too. From Saint, Colette. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's down. exactly right. Yeah. Uh, but because he is, he is so opinionated. There's not. He he comes across as a a thoughtful and accomplished critic, but he doesn't. He's totally free of sacred opinions. Uh, like there, there's no sacred opinion for him. And in, in criticism that you can run into that problem where, oh, this is someone who just cannot be uh, criticized. And of course their oeuvre is perfect. And, uh, and, he, yeah, <laughs> and he has no, he has no sacred cows. He, uh, he boldly and, and compellingly 
argued for uh, you know the the beauty or the greatness of authors that I don't care for, and I I found it you know winsome, uh, and and then vice versa. Obviously, he briefly trashed on writers that are you know better than he gives them credit for. Graham Greene, uh, <laughs> and uh, and yet even then I was with him. Like oh yeah, you know I. Uh, because he had he had sort of uh, earned earned the cred. Yeah, yeah. It was a really. It also is just book. a he great some... defense of the novel as a form yeah. for, for modern life. That's exactly right. Yeah, he he argued. I mean, that's the the title and the answer in the end of the book is everyone needs the novel maybe more than ever. Uh, he had some great things to say about the the ways in which uh, writing certain modern technologies into novels. Maybe we've talked about this already on the show somewhere. Uh, tends to make novels boring novels with smartphones or uh, yeah like yeah social media <laughs> become boring and uh i thought that was that was really great yeah it's a great book really and it's very brief like i basically oh, yeah. read it in a couple of sittings and it's yeah it's, i read it i read it in a week it's very very funny too so Winsome, right? Yeah, it's just it's it's winsome. It's engaging. Yeah. It's it's uh, easy to read, uh, but it's rewarding and enriching. Yeah. Did you read that, Heidi? The novel. Who needs it? You'd like it, Heidi. I I mean, it's still twenty twenty three. Yeah, that's right. Fair enough. Yeah. Um. Okay, Tim. What is your number three? My number three is kind of sticking with my brand. It's a Shakespeare play. I had to get <laughs> one in. The Winter's Tale. Oh man! One so of good. the so hidden gems. I don't know yep. why it's performed so infrequently. Yeah, it has everything that you want: a besieged tyrant who has lost his mind in jealousy, a faithful wife who is just and true from the very first moment, and a very mysterious miraculous and beautiful resolution uh, the, the last scene the of the play winters oh it's so, so good man. it's so uh, good yeah, yeah. and i think the only play in shakespeare that includes a leap of a significant portion of time 16 years the yeah. midpoint of the play and last thing, it includes the most famous stage direction in all of shakespeare <laughs> exit Pursued, by, Pursued, a bear. By, a bear. Pursued, Pursued by, a bear. by a bear. You know, that might be, oh. though, why it doesn't get performed more, because all those directors who like to do Shakespeare, because they get to make the choices for themselves, get insulted that Shakespeare's telling them how to do it with all those <laughs> stage directions. About. The hopiest like, stage directions in Winter's Tale. I have read that because bear baiting was legal in Shakespeare's day, oh, they had and a bear. because it was very, very popular in downtown London... Some people believe that a trained bear actually chased the actor off stage. I, I'm 100 sure. I believe it. Yeah, you don't I believe, believe it. it? No, I do believe it. I, I'm I'm ready to believe that. You're telling me that bear baiting was popular in downtown London? Can you imagine? <laughs> it's like in that Christian Lavren's daughter scene before she meets Erlen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Those, yeah. Were those bears wolves? What were they? Uh, well, they were with a circus or something, right? Leopards. Weren't they leopards. leopards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because there's because there's medieval symbology behind the leopard, and we have to come to that. Right okay, um, okay. So my number three. Oh, Heidi, you read my number three. Yep. It's the Blazing World. Oh yeah, good. Oh, it's yeah. not. It's not the Heidi, sun did you walks read down. That? 
Yeah. You listen nice. to it, right? Because when you listen. picked me up at the David airport. David and I listened to yeah. the end of it. Ah, very nice. Yeah. Um, so you just counted that? Yeah, that was like, <laughs> she listened to the last 20 minutes of the audiobook. Like, I'll just put it at the end, and then David will think I read it. All part of my master plan. <laughs> so The Blazing World is is a book um about England during the 1700s. It covers 1600s. you know 1600s, 17th century, 1600s, yeah. yeah. It covers Cromwell and the Civil War and you know the end of multiple reigns and lots of beheadings and but also so much going on in the church in culture um and i i it's a it's not terribly long what is it four or five hundred pages um max yeah it's by jonathan healy um but it is um i found it to be very propulsive it's 500 yeah 500 pages it's very propulsive um tim i think you'd actually really like this Tim would like this book um, it gets a lot into, um, I mean, there's a, there's so much on the culture. It's not just these guys were fighting for the crown or this is how they took out Charles or whatever. It's one of my favorite books of English history that I've read in quite some time. And I'm a, a huge English history fan. So um, Heidi, what did you think of it? I really liked it. And I think for all the reasons that you're saying and the fact that the 1600s we're so important in world history, but don't get a lot of play. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 to be able to have that concentrated attention on it, um, and from a, from a prodigious scholar without it being, without it feeling like a scholarly read, it's a um, yeah. very readable book, um, and fascinating. So, and, and just, uh, goes into what I feel like, hmm, goes into what it, felt like to live during that time it's not just dry history and facts like a timeline with some detail like it's very um yeah and i i know tim would really like this book sounds like it qualifies as light history it does, it does. it's light it. but it is like it's Lock not and load tim but it's but it's not <laughs> like it's not scholarly but it's not without scholarship, if that makes sense. Like it really, yeah. like the guy really right. knows what he's like talking Oppenheimer. about. Oppenheimer yeah. is that way. It yeah. kind of reminds me of like one of David McCullough's longer books or something like that. Mm. Like um, a biography of the 17th century is kind of like what it reads like. Yeah. And the biggest thing is it made me want to read more about then like what happened next. Um, actually, Jonathan Healy is working on a book next that is about the fall of, it's specifically more detailed on the fall of what would, would, would what would it have been Charles by from Cromwell. Yeah, the first. So he's writing one that gets really into that, um, like his his capture and all that kind of stuff, uh, which is in the book, but you know, in, in forty pages instead of three hundred pages. So, okay, so then here's our quick update. We'll do a quick summary of where we are. My fifth was the eyes of the impossible. My fourth was the feast, and my third was the blazing world. And I got to get my pages to work here to turn the pages. Heidi's What was, what fifth, was your fifth? The Eyes and the Impossible. The Eggers book. Thank you. That's right. Yeah. The, the Eyes and the Impossible. Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. So the, the, for the, some reason, just hearing the phrase. The <laughs> eyes. Like... Yeah. The Eyes and the Impossible. <laughs> so it's um, all coming back now. Okay. Yeah. Heidi's fifth was The Sun Walks Down, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, her fourth was The Need to Be Whole by Wendell Berry. And her third was A Year in Pro Provence. Sean's was Strangers on a Train was the fifth. Fourth, The Sermons of St. Philaret of Moscow. And third, The Novel, Who Needs It? And then Tim had Very Hungry Caterpillar at fifth. 
Oppenheimer, American Prometheus at four, and The Winter's Tale at three. So Heidi, what's your second? Um, I just want to say before I say that, that I know what your top two are, but I don't know what order they're going to be. You don't. So you're going to surprise yeah, I, me. I, would, I don't think you know what my number two is. <laughs> you don't. I really I think, don't think so. I think I do. But when you say it, I will tell you whether I'm right or not. Okay. okay. All right. Um, my number two is Adventures on the Wine Route by Kermit Lynch. Well, that oh. sounds amazing. Um, and it is a so Kermit Lynch is a very famous and influential wine critic, and he owns yeah. a wine shop in Colorado. Oh, excuse me, in California. Um, and at the beginning of his career, when he was doing all of his own buying for his wine shop, uh, he you know, he traveled all around. He loves French wine and he is very much a proponent um, of, of old world wines um, during the 1970s and 80s when New World was a really big deal and everyone was talking about Napa um, and, uh, and wine culture was changing. And he, Kermit Lynch, was a very conservative um, wine buyer and critic. Um, and so he wrote this book, Adventures on the Wine Route, which is all about his time in France. And he goes um, like region by region and talks about wineries that he visited, the food that he ate with it, the winemakers that he met, winemaking techniques, why old world is so um, so compelling and deserves not to be forgotten. Because at the time that was just kind of up in the air. Nobody, everybody thought maybe um, that Napa was going to take over in the world of wine um, and uh, so it's delightful. This book is wonderful. It will make you love wine, even if you don't know that you love wine. Um, and it will give you a, a very, um, like an understanding of what it is that matters in wine culture, um, and how to drink it and how to love it and how to talk to people about it. Um, and just a lot of really great stories. Who's so Adventures by? on the White Route, Wine Route. Kermit Lynch. Lynch. Yeah, I'm going to go read that. When did it come out? Again, I think like 19 yeah, well, in the 70s or, or very early 80s. Okay. Yeah. And it's been, I read the updated edition, which has, uh, so there's an original. And then this, I think, I can't remember what year the updated edition came out, but it has um, information about what happened to the people and to the wineries that he, and the vineyards that he talks about. Um Aww back from, oh, that's the, cool. from in the book and so and you can and it has like links to where you can buy some of these wines and taste them and find out what happened and so it's just like wonderful if you're interested cool. in wine and you want to know more about it this is a great place to start this is a great list for this is like a very Heidi list I, I'm, I like it <laughs> all right Sean what's your number four number number two uh my number two is the good lord bird by James McBride that's a good book. I've never it's heard a of it. Good, it's such a good book. Uh, it's it's historical fiction about... He has a new book out, by the way. It's great. I know. Yeah. I, I made myself... I have it. I made myself read this one, though, because it's been sitting on my shelf <laughs> before I would read the new one. Uh, it's a historical fiction about John Brown, the abolitionist who met his end at Harper's Ferry, and uh, and the, the young... Uh, slave boy who or it's, it sort of imagines a backstory for the the young uh freed slave who was with him at harper's ferry uh but it is 
hilarious. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's hilarious. And it's free of, or it, it he's very conscious of uh, sort of the, the stereotypes that might inform this kind of genre. And he, uh, you know, intentionally bucks them. Uh, and yet it definitely is a book that still has uh, a lot of heart and uh, feels, uh, it it feels historically responsible, even, even though a lot of it has, you know, just invented whole cloth. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, and it's it a has really been, good book. It has been turned into a miniseries starring Ethan Hawke as oh, John Brown, yeah. which, which I haven't let myself watch because I'm still trying to finish the book, or I was it, still trying to read the book. It's good. It's a good series. Uh, funny enough, the uh, a few scenes in the series were shot at the school where I worked in Virginia, Veritas. Oh, That's huh. cool. Yeah. Huh. Wow. That's sort of their side what hustle. They have this old historic mansion on campus that they like, rent out to Hollywood productions. Huh. Yeah. That's a great side hustle. That's okay, right. How yeah, does one had, get in on that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. They've shot, they've had Walking Dead episodes shot there. They did some of the, yeah. was it uh, Kevin Durant, uh, like a biopic HBO series? Uh, yeah. That I, I don't know. Yeah. Some, know some, what... some, some NBA player like that. Uh, they, they shot an episode of a show about his life there. Crazy stuff. All right, Tim. Uh, where the Wild Things Are? Where the Wild Things Are is number two. Rightly no, so. I, this, before <laughs> yeah. I say what number two is for me, I want to say it's a book I think all four of us have read this year, and it's on the list for Close Reads 2024. I didn't read it, Tim. I haven't read it. Oh, okay, okay. So only three of us have read it. Um. But I'm looking forward Should, to it. Is it on David or Heidi's list? David yeah. or Heidi's list, yeah. It was on their list yeah, last, last year, I think. Year. Yeah. Last year for both of you. Yep. Yes. Oh, I know what we're talking about now. Okay. So it's okay for me to talk about yes. it. Yeah. Own it. Trust by Hernan Diaz. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you love this book the way that we do. You're going to come it on to those is... episodes, right? Yeah, I've got to be on for those episodes. That book is so good. I, it starts off, I'm not going to ruin it because it is a mystery and it doesn't yeah, start you. as a mystery until like after the first section, you're like, wait, it's like the what? did you guys Love find rolls. yourself going to the back blurb of the book after the first section being like, did I miss something major <laughs> here? Did you guys do that? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you make it a little way into part two, and you're like, uh, oh, I see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. What a lovely book. A page turner that's very erudite and sophisticated, and it's kind of like I was hanging on to the last five pages. I was like, what is going on here? And the great thing is the ending is one of the, like, you could, there's some interesting debates to be had about what he's doing with the ending, in my opinion. Um you have them. Um, I, I will have them on the air. I'm a big Hernan Diaz fan. Um, I, I think, that, yeah, I don't remember what number I had that last year. Would you remember what you had it, Heidi? No, I don't remember. But top five, <laughs> it was for sure. <laughs> Can't wait to read it with all y'all close readers out there. Okay, so my number two is the Sun Walks Down, which Heidi mentioned. So Heidi. Dig in deeper, like that's I, no. I, it's your turn. I already said I gave a little bit of a setup for you. Now you, you know, you dunk it. 
<laughs> she threw the alley oop. All right. Yeah. So, uh, or you threw the alley, I guess. Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, it's a novel about a um, takes place in the 1800s, late 1800s in the Australian outback. I think that's right, like 1880s. And at the beginning of the novel, a sandstorm comes through, and a little boy who's five, six years old goes missing. And basically, the rest of the story is kind of like a mystery that is about all these characters trying to find him while also trying to kind of figure out their place in this community and who they are. You've got a sheriff who, this is basically his first case. uh, And he also just got married, like at the very beginning of the book. And then you've got his young wife who's like, I just got married. Now my husband's off in the in the desert looking for this boy. There's the family members, including the father and mother and sisters of this boy. Um, There are some native people who are involved in it. There's rich ranchers and settlers who have come there. There's a Swedish painter who comes chasing the sun with his wife, um, chasing the S-U-N in this case. Um, It is, her prose is incredible. It's my, it's my favorite prose of the year. Um, It reads at times like Steinbeck. There's a lot of old Testament, a lot of classical allusions in this, in this book. Um, It's super complex and I don't know what I think of all the choices and the characters are the kind of characters who you're like, why are you doing this thing that seems like it's going to ruin your life? And I mean, I, I think it's a kind of a brilliant novel. Um, and it was very difficult for me not to put it at number one. Like for 90 till today, it was my number one since the day that I read it in March or whenever it came out. Um, Fiona McFarlane is incredible. And the next thing that she releases, I will read the day that it comes out, probably before that. Um, so I, I would love to do it on the show sometime. It's, um, it, I could see it being a book that not everybody loves, um, for, for various reasons that, that are all like very crucial to sort of the soul of the book. Like, I don't know if you're, you should read it to, anyway. Yeah. 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 I it's mean, it's kind of so like, haunting. it's kind of like reading Kristen Lavin's yeah. or Anna Karenina or Dostoevsky or something where there's things about it that you're like, I don't know what I think of this scene, but the brilliance of it is, is that it doesn't linger in those very long. So then you're on to the next thing. I also have this thing, you know, that I hate where when there's books by authors that use different perspectives and they all sound the same, drives me nuts, it's bad writing. This book does not do that at all. So immediate props for, for that on any, anytime I read a book. So Heidi, what else do you want to say? I mean, I, I'm, I love yeah, this book so much. It's, yeah. I agree with everything you're saying. I think it is a book that will inhabit your imagination from the time that you read it. And not all contemporary novels are like that. There's a couple of novels I read this year that I really liked and then kind of immediately forgot about. Um, When I like put them down, I was like, that was very good. And then I don't ever have to think about it again, even though it was a good novel. But this is one of those, it will populate your imagination. And Steinbeck is a really great, um, <laughs> like a very great comparison. And it's like that he, she is, she has that, um, ability to be both specific about place, but also Mm -hmm. very archetypal in a way that is, uh, bigger than the place. It's great. Yeah. yeah. It's richer for the archetypes rather than shallower for them. Right. Tim, I mean, Sean, did you read it? I haven't read it. No, I'm assuming you didn't, Tim. I'm looking forward to it now. No, I've not read it. Um, but two of you recommended it back to back, just as you both recommended Trust back to back last year. This means this must be a winner of a book. A hot tip. And what I'll say, here's hot what I'll tip. say, Heidi, about my number one 
it the sun walks down is my favorite novel of the year uh-huh. by a wide margin um mm. all right uh heidi what's your number one book of or number one reading experience of the year my number one reading experience of the year is going to surprise nobody it is the sparrow by mary doria yeah. russell oh yeah you are, I didn't realize this was that you read and this for the is, first time this year. Yes, and it's not because I think that it is a perfect novel. It's not. And actually, I think when you get to the end, it makes you wrestle to be satisfied. But I think yeah. that's one of the reasons what made why it's great. Um, and it's so creative. The characters are so memorable. It's very well written. Um, the world building is beautiful the depth and it it is a theodicy um so it is asking the question of the purpose of suffering um and what what is you know what if the two great questions about being human are what who is god and who is man what does it mean to be human this book takes them on um and doesn't come to exactly the same conclusions that i do um, but raises the question so beautifully and and hauntingly um and and lets those lets those questions linger and um and i i it's it's one of those books that i co-suffered with as i was reading it i was i was suffering like weeping tears of blood you know in my soul as i read this book you're really selling it it's so good <laughs> i know you're gonna want to read it for sure because you're gonna suffer um but i really mean that like you are gonna she's not lying <laughs> to suffer and because it will um and it because it will raise raise those questions the kinds of questions that are raised by dostoevsky but in like a novel about um, the Catholic Church sending explorers into space. It's cool. It's like a believe cool it or book not. And it, um, so this is will be the year. And the reason why it's number one is not, like I said, not because it's perfect, um, but because this is. I will look back and be like, that was the year I read the Sparrow. Mm. Yeah. So that's one we have talked about possibly doing on the show, but we need some more feedback from people who are brave it's, enough to read it. Right? Is that what you were saying? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm glad to, I'm glad you put it on your list because I left it off of mine. Partly, I think because I'm still wrestling with what I think about it. But yeah, I I had told Heidi earlier. I I think I would fight against doing it on the show, which is probably going to make a lot of people upset right now. But uh, it's <laughs> there, a you, there you have it. To me, Why? it's less about whether we do it and more about like go read it and then tell. Yeah, and yeah, that's right. Yeah, do read it, but but be prepared truly to. To endure some some vicarious misery. Um, well, I hesitate to say it, but Sean, you're up now. I don't know <laughs> what the transition is from that. Uh, my number one book is The Sparrow. <laughs> my, my number one book is, and I guess I'll have to I'll make a defense for it in the in a second. Is not the it's a novel, but it's not the most. It's not the best novelly novel that I read this year. Uh, <laughs> because it's not but, a novel. I don't novel, know Sean. what you mean by that. Yeah, I'm kind of curious I, for you. He's, like, he's going to just say a play now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's Macbeth. No, uh, my my number one read this year is uh, a history of the island by Eugene Wolotskin. Oh, I wrote a review on that for. Hey, yeah. I, I wonder. I wondered all year if that would be on your list, Heidi. 
so here's why it's on my list, and here's what I mean by it. I didn't even know you novel. read it. I read it. I read a. Um, I read a, an arc before it came out, even. So I almost forgot I had read it this year, uh, but I really enjoyed it. It's it's written in the style of, partly at least, in the style of a medieval chronicle, mashed up with a modern novel, uh, and there's some, kind of some like French nouveau cinema uh, mixed in there too. <laughs> Uh, but I, so there are some of the novels I read this year, I think are more novelistic in their, in their style or in their mechanics. Uh, but I loved, I loved a history of the Island. I don't even, I don't even know that it's Vodolodskin's best book. It's hard to top Lauris, but, uh, it's, I, I know, I know a lot of people or I sort of bump up against a lot of spheres, uh, as a teacher where, um, a big emphasis on education of young people is uh, kind of uh, giving them a kind of culture war mentality. And uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of emphasis placed on uh, if you can, it's great. It would be great to get some political power and kind of steer the world in the right direction. Uh, and this is a novel instead about people who, uh, Monarchs who are born into some political power, uh, and yet they live a life of pious renunciation. And it's th through that that they really sort of gain and keep influence over, over their nation and other nations in the world. Uh, and they really sort of live a life of pious renunciation on behalf of the rest of the world. Uh, there's this culminating scene that is sort of apocalyptic and otherworldly and uh, uh, involves a volcano. <laughs> uh, it's really, it's, it's kind of a mystical historical chronicle uh, or, or a, a parable uh, loosely based on the world that we now live in. And uh, it was, it was really great. Heidi, what did you think of it? I agree with everything he said. I think it's really great. It's not very readable. Like you, it's, it's a thinking person. It's novel. not a page turner. Yeah. It's not a page turner. It's oh, so it's not very novelly. Novel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not a very novelly novel. It's not very novelly. Like, is what I'm hearing. It is. I, it's, I think the the challenge that Vodolashkin had, and he did his best with, and I think he overcame, but the challenge that he had is if in writing the history of a, of a nation, how do you create characters that we readers have a stake in? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I think he did his best with it, but it's not going to be a novel that appeals to to everybody. But it's Vodolashkin, and the ending is so beautiful. The ending like is it, so great. It's worth it's it's worth it. And um, even the way even the way he solves the problem that Heidi just described yeah. is really so clever. Ended. Ultimately, yeah. yeah. And there's uh, a mystery. Like there's insoluble mysteries within this novel, which is his whole yes. point. Um, and it's it's lovely. Like it's very, very, very much worth reading. Do read it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Tim, what's your number one? My number one is I'm gonna also call this light history, but this is a big book. <laughs> Dominion by Tom oh, Holland. Yeah. Uh it was recommended to me by our friend Ty Rollins. I had kind of become open to the thesis of the book during the last few years through 
a Russian writer named uh, Ivan Illich, not Ivan Illich as in the death of <laughs> the real Ivan one. Illich. Yeah. yeah, the real <laughs> Ivan Illich. The alive uh, one. Tom Holland's thesis should be pretty interesting to people who are interested in the classics, and we have a lot of those listeners. His He was raised Anglican, and he kind of got bored with Yahweh. This is his own self-description. And he was like, man, the Greek gods and the Roman gods are so cool. They're like, really, they're fighting and having sex with everybody. It's so interesting. (laughs) And then, and he was kind of like a standard enlightenment academic guy. And then he was like, man, the more I read the ancient sources, the more the world that we all live in and all of the kind of values that we take for granted as goods, they don't really come from the Greeks. And they don't really come from the Romans, not even democracy, he argues, in a sophisticated way. It's not just like the Greeks didn't contribute anything. They certainly contributed something. But his thesis is everything came from Christianity. Like everything in the West came from Christianity. I'm I'm being rhetorical and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not that much. Yeah. Um, If you were a woman living in the world before Christianity— it was terrible. <laughs> your plight was not it, yeah. what you wanted. Yeah. Not what you wanted. Love your neighbor wasn't exactly what people were preaching outside of. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Um, so Tom Hollins, I think that he is, has the most popular history podcast, I think, in the world. The, most the rest is history. To. It's so good. The rest good. of history. It's uh, really, really I good. I love it. Yeah. Um, and he's a sparkling writer. And I, the thesis... Like I said, I was really open to the thesis. I just haven't read much that makes a claim this grand. Um, but from my understanding of the ancient sources, which is very thin comparatively, I'm like, man, I think he's right. He makes a really, really <laughs> compelling case. So Dominion by Tom Holland, number one book of the year. So uh, fun fact about Tom Holland, he's also like a semi-pro cricket player. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, and apparently the the process of writing this book led him back to the church. Yeah. I don't know yeah, that I he's heard the, like, I heard the same thing. I don't, I, from what I've read from him, I don't know that he's a full on Christian, but he is a lot less cynical about it than he was. And he's, yeah, he calls himself a theist and he goes to church. Well, you know, that's, that's there's some first like steps Jordan there. Peterson. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. Jordan Peterson. <laughs> so his book, Tom Holland's book, um, packs the, the history of Rome's golden age, which came out yeah. this year is yeah. on my long list and it's really good, but I didn't finish it. I'm not far enough into mm-hmm, it to say, mm-hmm. to, to include it on the list, but Tim, you could literally not have chosen a book that would pair better with my number one of the year. Oh, wow. So this is Here a book which mentions dominion uh, nice. several times and Tom Holland in general. And it is my turn, right? Yeah, everybody else is gone. Okay, I'm just making sure. So my favorite book of the year is Andrew Wilson's Remaking the World, oh, yeah. How 1776 Created the Post-Christian West. Yeah, no, that was not my guess. <laughs> you were right. Um, I came to this. Cool. I came to this book really late. Okay, so here's, here's one way of thinking about this book. You, did you guys know... Do you guys know what the original language in the in the um, Declaration of Independence was about uh, uh, that all men are created equal and they're endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. Well, so originally, originally Thomas Jefferson wrote 
we hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable. Mm-hmm. What we ended up with was we hold these truths to be self-evident. And Benjamin Franklin came in and rewrote the self-evident over the sacred and undeniable. <laughs> so one of the things that he's talking is about it? here is he's jumping off of the idea that what Tom Holland's writing about in Dominion, and then he's saying, well, the situation that we're in now stems out of all these different things that happened in, that were kicked off in 1776. So when you've got the American Revolution, of course, which then leads into the French Revolution, um, you've got the early days of the Enlightenment, like some key Enlightenment events happening in 1776, uh, particularly with certain scientists who actually were getting together and writing letters and stuff like that. Um, the invention of the steam engine happened, so you've got the Industrial Revolution playing into that. Um, you have... He's also writing about the connecting threads between the Reformation and the Enlightenment. And he basically makes the case that without the Reformation, there is no Enlightenment. And True. thus, there's no... Because yep. basically, he argues that... that And he's a Protestant. So this is a Protestant, uh, I think, Church of England pastor who also is... He's the pastor, the teaching pastor at King's Church London. And he also is, he has degrees in history and theology from Cambridge and King's College London. And he's like, a this is a real historian theologian combo here. So it's getting into both the theology and the history. And yet he's also like able to look at his own tradition and say, well, this is, these are what the choices that we made then with good intentions led to and where we are now. Um, and it is, it's incredible. It's got a, great design like the covers are great the end papers are paintings from the era it's got it's talking about um it's getting into the social issues and the history and the theology and it it i got to i started reading it one week ago Hmm. and so i don't know if it's i mean i can't say that it like has been lingering with me but i absolutely i'm reading it like a novel i i can't Hmm. i couldn't put it down um how far are you like i'm pretty much done Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Um, Tell us about your reading life. <laughs> I read. I read. <laughs> uh, dude, I write so many reviews and read. I. I don't. I don't. It, it's. It's not great in terms of how my uh, the rest of my life is going and my sleeping habits and so forth. Um, but um, it's a. It is a great companion with Dominion. Um, nice. And uh, it's. It's a really compelling case. I don't agree with like everything in it, but that's you. Books like this, you want to have things where you're like, eh, I don't know. Can we sit down and have a, can yeah. we go to a pub and and have a uh, conversation yeah, about this? You should be nervous if you agree with everything in a in a work like that, probably. That's right. Okay, so here is my list. We'll go backwards this time. My list is number five, uh, Eyes in the Impossible by Dave Eggers. Number four, The Feast by Margaret Kennedy. Number three, The Blazing World by Jonathan Healy. Number two, The Sun Walks Down by Fiona McFarlane. And number one, Remaking the World by Andrew Wilson. Tim had number one, Dominion. By Tom Holland, Two Trust by Aaron and Diaz, Three, The Winter's Tale by uh, Bill Shakespeare, Four, Oppenheimer, an American Prometheus by someone whose name I didn't write down. And then, do you want? Do you have it, Tim? The name? I, don't I Bird and Martin Sherwin. Got, got it. great. And then, The Very Hungry Caterpillar was number five by Eric Eric Carl. Uh, Sean had Strangers on a Train by Patricia Highsmith, The Sermons of Saint Philaret of Moscow. The Novel, Who Needs It by Joseph Epstein, The Good Lord Bird by James McBride, and A History of the Island by Eugene Vodoloshkin. Heidi Had the Sun Walks Down, uh, The Need to Be Whole by Wendell Berry, A Year in Provence by who? Peter Mayle. Peter Mayle. 
um, Adventures in the on the Wine Route by Kermit Lynch, and then The Sparrow by Mary Russell. Right? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Those are some good lists. Do you guys want to do any before we go? Any honorable mentions? I have a bunch of novels, a bunch of books that just kind of like. Yeah, I I really do. T- Tim's got to go, so go ahead, Tim. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Tim. Thanks for Merry Happy Christmas. New Year. Thanks yeah, for doing this. Right. It's Merry great Christmas. to have you back. It's great to be with you guys. I hope that we I hope that we see each other before the holidays and I'm sure we will. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, all yeah. right. Thanks. See you. Sean, what do you got to that as far as some honorable mentions? Okay. Uh, for, for similar reasons to you, I didn't put this on my main list uh, because I'm too close to the author of this book, but Joshua Gibbs' book, Love What Lasts, uh, is definitely one of my honorable mentions. It was a fantastic book. Uh, I mean, it's on... genuinely good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's not Gen- just because we're friends gen- with him. Not just literally, friend. yeah, it's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a book on aesthetics and uh, how to uh, understand the th- how to think about the world, how to live a better life. The uh, notion of very... good taste. Yeah, yeah. How to cultivate good taste. It's very readable. It's very approachable. Uh, it's such a good book. Love what lasts uh, from the Cersei. Press or whatever. Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. Press, yeah. Uh, uh, Get it wherever books are sold, uh, ideally directly from Cersei or maybe at Goldberry Books. I I would also. I have two more honorable mentions. One of them is kind of a combo. I read, I read Beowulf a lot, (laughs) and uh, I read two new translations of Beowulf this year. Uh, One is by Tom Shippey who's probably the greatest oh, living yeah. Tolkien scholar. And, and it's, it's a phenomenal, uh, you know, well-researched, very uh, reasonable uh, new look at uh, Beowulf. And then I read uh, a translation by a fellow named Peter Ramey called The Word Horde Beowulf, uh, where he leaves a, a, a portion of the, a number of key terms untranslated from the original Anglo-Saxon uh, because he really... He's really convinced that it is through a language that you enter into sort of the mindset and experience of a culture. And so he tries to make as many there's a, a copious notes. It's it's time consuming to read when you're starting out. Uh, but he tries to make as many of those original Anglo-Saxon words really approachable so that you can sort of step your way into Beowulf as it was first written and heard, uh, which is it worked pretty well. It's really enjoyable. Uh, which leads me to my last honorable mention, which is Paul Kingsnorth's novel, The Wake, uh, which I just is sold written... that at the shop today. Oh, it's so good. I love Paul uh, Kingsnorth. It, it's written in this invented dialect uh, or in an, uh, sort of an invented version of uh, an Anglo-Saxon dialect that is mashed up with modern English so that it reads like the main character who is uh, a, a Briton living in the aftermath of the Norman invasion. Uh, it reads like the language he might have spoken, but is intelligible enough for a modern English reader to sort of get into. Uh, but it helps you, helps you really feel in a visceral way, a connection to the culture that he is trying to hold on to uh, in the wake of, you know, a culture transforming uh, invasive force from, from France, and uh, it's, it's a great novel. Hi, did you have any? I do. I have a couple. My first one is one I picked up at an airport because I didn't have anything to read on the plane, and I went to like this little, like a magazine shop, and I well, first that sounds like poor planning, serendipity. It was, it yeah, was what like happened? 
I don't know. I think I was rushing out the door and my oh, book yeah. was in the back seat of my oh, car and I yeah. forgot to like put it into yeah. my purse. So I didn't yeah. have a book. Um, and so I just randomly picked this up and I ended up, I loved it. Um, so this was kind of like my year of like reading books about people who do stuff. Um, <laughs> and um, this this book's called The Life on the Mississippi by a guy named Rinker Buck. And he is like an Americana kind of historian kind of guy. Okay. And so he built. Yeah. So the story is he built like a boat. And then oh, sailed, like a Conestoga, right? Like a flat yeah, bottom, a yeah, flat bottom boat, and he sailed it down the Mississippi, um, okay. and it's like a record of how he built the boat and how he huh. like sailed it down the Mississippi, and all the books that he read that inspired him, um, yeah. and how he wanted to be like Wendell Berry and Harlan Hubbard and Mark Twain, mm. and it's like a history of the Mississippi. And all his stops along the way and the people that he met. And so it's another kind of travel memoir, but like about a guy who did it, like <laughs> built his own boat, made it down the Mississippi. And it is all about like how he, uh, how dangerous it was and how he sailed through these crazy currents and how he navigated the boat. And it was a really cool book. It was just like a random find in an airport, like newspaper stand. And I loved it. So the first book that I read in 2023 was uh, Michael Pollan's book, um, oh, yeah. A Place of My Own, mm-hmm. which oh, is yeah. where he basically is reading all these architects. And then he basically, he doesn't, he doesn't consider himself handy at all. Took place, it is just in the 90s, but he basically built himself a writing shed huh. and he worked with an architect and a builder and all that and like tried to figure it out. And it's this memoir of him trying to do that. So it's kind of the same idea, like him doing something. That book, it didn't come out in 2023, so I didn't include it, but it was one of my favorite experiences of the year for sure i um, have two more can i say it. two more yeah of course. my next one is one that another one you recommended for me david called six walks by ben oh Schatt. yeah and i i don't know how to say his name it's spelled s-h-a-t-t-u-c-k shattuck maybe that book. yeah um and i really liked it it's he just went on he recreated the walks of um of thoreau and so he went on all these like really cool walks and then he went on and then he records his like the journey of the soul that each of the walks was and um it was really cool the reason it's not on my main list why it's an honorable mention it's like a little bit emo a little bit self-indulgent <laughs> um but really really cool idea like him just walking and telling the story of his walks and then my other one is probably the one i thought would be in would be your number two. I thought Sunwalks Down would be number one. I thought Northwoods would be number two. And I was wrong. And um, but that's a great book. And I'm hoping it's on your um honorable mention and you'll talk about it. Oh it's yeah. I mean yeah it, having, having it, heard you guys talk about that book, I'm surprised it wasn't on your list. A different, you know, in two weeks maybe it would be, you know. <laughs> I it it was between so the my fifth spot was between the eyes of the impossible, the Northwoods and Anne Patchett's novel, Tom Lake, mm, which is my favorite. It's on my TBR. It's my favorite book about family. Like that's, it's a kind of, it's like the best of all the COVID novels that I've read. Um, <laughs> and it's a really delightful, pleasant book about how the plans that you make for yourself are often not as good as the plans that the things that happen to you. 
and where you end up. It's a great novel about family. It's very pleasant. But The Northwoods is... Um, I can't say it's a great novel about family. In some ways, it's a novel about family. It's about a house throughout time, going from the Puritan times to the modern times, with a little bit of a ghost story element to it, with a little bit of a sci-fi thing going on. Um, it Sometimes it's written through letters, sometimes through... Uh, memoirs, sometimes straight narrative, sometimes it's written through song lyrics, um, scientific treatises. I mean, it's a really weird book uh, that was <laughs> extreme. It's super, I mean, it's surprising. It's in the wrong hands. It turns into a terrible thesis, like, you know, creative writing class type book. But um, Mason's a great novelist. And so he really, um, he pulled it off. I mean, it, um, it, there's a couple things about it that I think hold it back a little bit from being on par with like the sun walks down um but it's uh it's it's pretty dang interesting book it does have um some a couple of scenes in it that you should be aware of um and then um a couple other ones i mean the prophet song almost made my list Mm -hmm. it's um the book that just won the booker prize and it takes place in like a it's the future kind of, but it's Ireland, like Northern Ireland. And there's the society is collapsing and the government's taking over. And this woman's husband goes missing. And then her son joins the rebel, the rebel Alliance. And it's about her trying to keep her family together. So most of those books are about people off fighting. And it's about her trying to be a mother and keep her house going and her children going. And it's, it's like the road. It's like Cormac McCarthy meets 1984 about a woman and it's Irish and like the the form of it there's no paragraph breaks long sentences the whole thing feels very claustrophobic but once you get used to it I mean it's done on purpose it's not like Faulkner where it just feels like you can't read the long sentences it's it's long sentences that, that are very very readable it's it's extremely propulsive um it just didn't end up being quite you know quite as mem- memorable for me as the sun walks down um the Cookaloon, great mystery novel that got brought back. I, I love that. We'll probably talk about that later at some point. Um, I, a couple of books that I haven't finished that I love are Grace Hammond's Jesus Through Medieval Eyes. Oh, yeah. Which is Do great. You, are you reading that? Yeah, I'm reading that now. I'm reading a book called Tolkien's Faith, a spiritual biography. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Pox Pax book by Tom Holland. And I'm also listening to Helen Rebank's book, The Farmer's Wife. Her husband is a Lake District sheep farmer who's friends with Wendell Berry and has written a couple books. And this is her memoir of being a farmer's wife and coming of age in this area and lots of stuff on childbirth in there. So if you're into childbirth, then you know you can read that. Um, it's that it's that book thing. is really good. It's really, really good. It's a great gift for your wife or your, your mom or whatever. Childbirth is a great... <laughs> Great gift for anybody who's into childbirth. I've, yeah. I've got a bunch I more. I'm going into childbirth. <laughs> I am all about childbirth. Um, also sheep and, and dogs. Yeah. And oh, and it's, it's full of re- it's full of recipes too. So it's really oh. it's a really good. Book. I am all about recipes. Do tell, dude. Yeah. Um, I also recipes? I mean I'm gonna do a long list on Substack with my like top twenty books of the year. I also am reading um, Camille Pissarro, The Audacity of Impressionism, which mm. is a biography of the impressionist and specifically Pissarro, who I love. And this book is great. Um, there's a great biography of Willa Cater that came out this year called Chasing Bright Medusas. Um, there's a book called Loved and Missed, which is from NYRB and is absolutely incredible. That's all I'm going to say. Great, uh, mis- um, like literary mystery called My Father's House, which is about a Catholic priest helping people escape into the Vatican uh, during Nazi-occupied Rome. Oh yeah. Um, 
Gary Saul Morrison wrote a great book on the Russians. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. So I'm gonna I'll do a longer list. And you guys, if you have anything else you want to add, we can we can post a a, a a post on Substack that has more books to recommend. Um, but we're kind of out of time now. So I'm out of books. <laughs> um, guys, this was fun. Um, so it was fun. fun. Yep. It's and such this a is, delightful episode to record. Every year I like look forward to it. So oh yeah. I look forward to it starting in like February. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is gonna air. We're gonna drop this right before Christmas. So this, hopefully this will get you, you know, get you through Christmas weekend. Hang in there, guys. Um yeah. And uh we will have our QA episode coming up soon. Um that thread is going up for the the um things fall apart today. Well, today when we're recording it, which is the 20th. Um, so post your questions there and we'll record that after Christmas and get that up. And we're working on uh, scheduling out some other stuff. We've got uh, Summer Lightning is coming up, first book of the year, and then The Warden. So those are your first two books there. And then in January, we're also going to be talking about Strange Poison, the um, Dorothy Sayers novel for subscribers. And then we still have Kristen Lavendar that we're working through. So lots of content. We're going to keep trying to get stuff out, all the other things we want to do as well, the poetry hours and all that. But there's only so many so many hours in a day. And so just bear <laughs> with us. Anything that either of you want to say before we go? No. This has just been a great year of reading. And thank you for sharing. So great. Close readers. Yep. We love you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for yep. having us. Merry Christmas. Cosign. All right. For <laughs> for Tim, Tim McIntosh, uh, for Sean Johnson, and for Heidi White, I'm David Kern. Till next time. Happy reading. Thanks for listening and Merry Christmas.